We remember this morning, Heavenly Father, that we pray to the one who described his mission as I've come to seek and save that which was lost. Father, we take comfort and encouragement knowing, God, that you love our family, friends, and coworkers, that you care for them even more than we will ever know, and that you are constantly unseen sometimes to our eyes at work in their hearts and in their lives. So, Father, this morning we simply join with you and partner with you in praying that the Spirit of God would continue to be at work in their hearts, that they would learn to seek your face, that they would learn to sense your presence, and they would learn to hear your voice. We lift them up to you, and we continue to lift them up to you, God. Thank you for being our heavenly Father who was sent into the world and sends us out to become your missionaries. We pray this in Jesus' name. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. This morning, I have the absolute honor to introduce to you um, Al Tizon. This morning, we will be concluding what began uh, eight weeks ago, a sermon series called Sent, where we looked at what it means to embrace our identity as sent people. And this morning, as we conclude this sermon series, we have an opportunity to hear from someone who has an absolute passion for this. Al is the executive minister of Sir Globally, which is the international ministry's arm of our denomination. His role includes overseeing administration, pastoral support, strategic direction, and training. For listen to this, 113 missionaries serving in 22 different countries. And also oversees Serve Globally's ministries of Covenant World Relief, Paul Carlson Partnership, and Covenant Kids Congo, Merge, and the Center for World Christian Studies. And this position includes faculty appointment as affiliate associate professor of missional and global leadership in North Park Theological Seminary. Uh, he has written a number of books, which I don't have time to go over all of them. Let's just say that he is a prolific writer and also... Uh, he has uh, served in community development, church leadership, advocacy, and urban ministry in the United States as well as in the Philippines. His wife is joining us here this morning, and we want to welcome Janice also. Can you just kind of raise your hand there? There she is. So as I invite Al to come and speak and close out the sermon season, challenge us to embrace our identities and people not just here but also all over the world, will you give him? A warm new community welcome. Thank you. I get to close out your series. What a what a privilege! Thank you so much for uh, for inviting me. I, I really am glad to be here uh, this morning. I, I I don't say that everywhere I go. By the way. Um, <laughs> But, and let me tell you why I'm so glad to be here. I, as, as, the, as the newish executive minister of Serve Globally, I, I've only been in this position for about a year and um, a half. Um, you know, I've, been, I've been really eager, right, to meet 
uh, and be with and, and serve covenanters around the country and, and the world. And over the last year and a half, I have been to at least 17 cities in the United States and Canada, and I've been on every continent except Antarctica, where we don't have any missionaries, by the way. I mean, Delta Airlines absolutely loves me right now. I go where I'm invited. And sad to say, sniff, sniff, the churches in Chicago where I live haven't invited me. (laughs) Um, So, Pastor Peter, thank you, man. Really, I appreciate the invitation, and uh, you know that's that's why I'm 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 ecstatic um, to be with you um, this morning. You know, at the core of my understanding of God's mission uh, is you. You know, I believe deeply that the local church is God's primary agent of change in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and the ends of the earth. Why wouldn't we be God's primary agents of change? It's where God's people gather to sing and worship the living God who longs to transform the world. Why wouldn't we be the agent of change in Chicago and beyond Chicago? Right? I mean, that's, it just makes sense. When churches get that, when, um, A church, for example, goes through a sermon series called Sent. I get excited. So again, um, thanks. Thank you for letting me be a part of of that with you this morning. You know, as I've taken taken on this role as as global mission guy, my preferred title, actually, uh, I've been discovering anew the greatness of the Great Commission found in Matthew 28. This morning, I just want to share a few thoughts that have formed in my heart and mind about the Great Commission. Because grasping the truth of Matthew 28, or reminding ourselves of the church's mission in the world, isn't just important for the newish executive minister to serve globally, but for all who are committed to Christ and Christ's purposes. So before we go any further, I'm going to read a very familiar passage to you. Matthew 28. I'm going to start at verse 16. Now the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. When they saw him, they worshipped him. But some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything that I have commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. This is the word of the Lord. You know, I see mission as the engine of the church. Without it, the church goes nowhere. I remember um, a few years ago when I was on the hunt for a classic Volkswagen Beetle. I've always had a crush on that car for some reason. I found one 
on Craigslist. And it was, to my, and to my surprise, it was in my price range. So I called up the owner, and uh, he proceeded to, to talk my ear off about his year-long restoration project. He described in detail what he did, replacing this and uh, buffing out that and specially, special ordering this part and that part and so on. He just kept going. It's, it's practically brand new, he said proudly. And if you want, he said, I'll even help you find an engine for it. <laughs> Click. Like that beautiful, shiny Volkswagen Beetle without an engine, so too the church, as shiny with magnificent architecture, fancy art, and expensive furniture as it may be, isn't going anywhere if we pop the hood open, or in the case of the Volkswagen Beetle, the trunk, if you remember those classic trunks. If, if we pop whatever it is open and expect to see the engine and it's not there, then it's like that Volkswagen, as beautiful as it is. It's not going anywhere. It's sitting in that owner's driveway because I'm not going to buy it. Here's the thing, though. As I've been looking at the engine, I'm realizing that the Great Commission depends on other essential parts to make the church go. Now, I'm not a mechanic, so before I embarrass myself, I'm going to stop with that metaphor right here. What I'm saying is, the Great Commission depends on other Bible greats to make it great. When I go to Matthew 28 with the intent to look at it exclusively and in depth, the passage more often than not leads me to look at other passages. It deflects attention away from itself, and I hear it say to me, hey, I'm only great because of these other passages. So you'll need to look at those too. It's one of the humblest texts in all of Scripture. Seattle Seahawks quarterback Russell Wilson immediately comes to mind here. Any, any other Seahawks fans besides me in Chicago? All right, we got a couple of claps here and there. You know, whenever an interviewer um, tries to credit him for yet another victory, he says um, how stellar the defense played or how so-and-so um, made a spectacular catch, or how so-and-so ran the ball, etc. Now, as important as the Great Commission may be, like Russell Wilson is to the Seattle Seahawks, it knows that it can't be great by itself. <clears throat> by the way, it should go without saying, um, but I'm going to say it anyway, that the descriptor Great Commission is not in the Bible. We know that, right? Um, we treat it like canon sometimes, but it's not. As far as anyone can tell, it was coined or at least popularized by the famous missionary Hudson Taylor about 125 years ago. And it went viral, so to speak, so much so that many think it came from the mouth of Jesus and um, it didn't. Now, by saying this, by pointing this out, I'm not at all um, suggesting that what Jesus said in Matthew 28 isn't great. It is. Hudson Taylor was 
right 125 years ago to call it something great, the Great Commission. And in fact, what I'm going to do this morning is take Taylor's lead and and take uh, the liberty to point out a few other Bible greats, which I'm convinced make the Great Commission as great as it is. Let's consider, for example, the great mission statement in Luke chapter 4, verses 18 and 19, where Jesus said, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, to let the oppressed go free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. Now, the way I look at the great mission statement and the great commission are the bookends of Jesus' preaching ministry. And bookends aren't that effective if both are not doing their job. We've all had those shelves, right? We, we, we lost the other end of the, book, the, 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 the set of the pair of bookends, and what happens? It doesn't hold our books. It doesn't, do the, it doesn't do the job. The same with the great mission statement on one end and the great commission on the other. You know, if there was no great mission statement, if Jesus didn't proclaim good news to the poor, set prisoners free, heal the sick, and champion justice and peace, then tell me, what would be so great about the Great Commission that sends us out to make disciples who don't proclaim good news to the poor, don't set prisoners free, don't heal the sick, and don't champion justice and peace? That doesn't sound very good to me at all, much less great. Without the Great Mission Statement, What kind of disciples are we making among the nations? In the spirit of WWJD, I've encouraged people through the years to substitute Jesus with the word church in the passage. So it reads like this. The spirit of the Lord is upon the church to bring good news to the poor. He has sent the church to proclaim release to the captives and recovery of sight to the blind, etc., And, you know, I've read a lot of church mission statements through the years, and it concerns me that not too many of them reflect the great mission statement. I love what you do here. Did you do that every Sunday, Pastor? That's that's fantastic that you should all have had that memorized, right? You you know how to... That's good. And, and And it's a beautiful mission statement. So I'm not talking about you. I'm talking about a lot of the mission statements I've I've encountered and... They don't seem to reflect the great mission statement of Jesus in Luke chapter 4. And I'm telling you right now that the Great Commission depends on that, on how well we live out the great mission statement. The Great Commission depends on how well we live out the great mission statement in the world. In and through our lives and in our churches, the Great Commission depends on it. The greatness of the Great Commission depends on it. Otherwise, it's just the commission, not a Great Commission. And then there's the great sermon. We looked at the great mission statement. I want to spend a minute or two on the great sermon found in Matthew's, Matthew chapters 5 through 7. Better known, of course, as the Sermon on the Mount. But come on, it is a great sermon. The great sermon. The sermon of sermons. Blessed are the poor in spirit, Jesus begins. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 
Verse 3. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are you when people revile you and persecute you and utter all kinds of evil against you falsely on my account. And it, just, it gets more and more radical as Jesus preaches on. The great sermon instructs us on how to live the right-side-up values of the kingdom of God in an upside-down world. I mean, the audacity of Jesus to say that the poor and the sad and the persecuted are the blessed ones. The audacity to teach that our righteousness must exceed the piety of the religious leaders. The audacity of Jesus to say not to worry about material things. But to seek first God's kingdom. The audacious Jesus. The great sermon is the manifesto of what John Stott called the Christian counterculture. Or what theologian John Yoder called the original revolution. It it causes to embrace downward mobility, selfless community, cross-bearing danger, inevitable persecution, and trouble with both political and religious establishments. The 60s got nothing on the gospel of Jesus Christ. The great sermon is a, a revolutionary manifesto, and through it, Jesus calls us to Love the immigrant and welcome the refugee, despite and especially when our government tells us to do otherwise. Say amen if you agree. Jesus calls us through this great sermon to care for the poor, empower the marginalized, defend the weak, and advocate for the oppressed. And not disconnected to these things, the teachings of Jesus here also calls us to be people of character, integrity, honesty, as the road to experiencing true love, abundant life, and overwhelming joy. Like I said, a great sermon. And I say that the Great Commission isn't that great unless we're living out the Great Sermon in our own lives and in our own churches. Insofar as we are, insofar as we can, by the Spirit, live out the great sermon, we can confidently go out to the nations and lead others to do the same. The greatness of the Great Commission hinges on how well we live out the great sermon. And then, of course, we can't talk about Bible greats without mentioning the great commandment to love. In response to a scribe asking which commandment is the greatest in Mark chapter 12, Jesus said in verses 28 through 30, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. And the second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus does something here in verse 31. He says, There is no other commandment greater than these. Now, I hope we notice what Jesus just did there, sneakily. He sneakily made the two loves one commandment. He mentioned both loves, love of God, love of neighbor, but then made them one commandment. Not two, but one great commandment. And by doing this, Jesus verified the biblical impossibility to say, I love God, but... Don't know about people. 
Or as one bumper sticker I saw, and it was, the car was owned by a, a, a brother, a Christian. He says, I like you, Jesus. It's your people I can't stand. Or I love God, but to be honest, really, I don't really care what happens to my neighbors, near or far. Biblically impossible to live, say, or even think in these terms. And I contend this morning that the greatness of the Great Commission depends on how well we have down the Great Commandment. For, for what are we spreading around the world? What gospel are we preaching? What kind of disciples are we making if our mission in the world is not driven by the two loves of the one great commandment? The great commandment is indispensable to the greatness of the great commission. You following me so far? Now, so far, the greats that we've looked at are, are broad enough that that most, if not all, God-fearing people around the world can essentially agree to them. But when we consider the next great, let's call it the great sacrifice. Jesus' suffering and death on the cross for the sins of the world. Then what we do there is we particularize our message. We're talking about Jesus here, and no one and nothing less. We're talking about Jesus who died for the, to atone for the sins of the world and who rose again to become the hope of the world. Happy Easter, everybody. The great sacrifice defines our proclamation of forgiveness, about agape love, about the power of love, about salvation and liberation, about hope, all in terms of Jesus, Savior of the world. And I want to say this morning that the Great Commission to make disciples of all nations is great insofar as we know precisely and personally who we're following and who we're preaching. We preach the great sacrifice. We preach the crucified and risen Jesus and thus make disciples of Jesus, not just disciples of humanitarian moral goodness or or disciples of generic peace and justice. But disciples of Jesus, the Lord of true justice and peace, true mercy and love, true liberation. Without this kind of specificity, without proclaiming Jesus, the Great Commission, not so great. It reminds me of a comic strip I saw years ago. I think I saw it in an issue of the irreverent Wittenberg Door. How many are old enough here to remember that magazine? Okay, just a couple of you. I know Peter would. The comic strip was this. Two Unitarian evangelists were um, standing outside the front door of somebody's house talking to a lady, and, and one of the evangelists said to her, Hello, we're from the first Unitarian church down the street, and we've come to tell you Whatever it is you want to hear. Now, Unitarians are the brunt of that joke, and I've actually told some of my Unitarian friends this, and they laugh. But really, uh, it hits anyone who tends to water down the gospel of Jesus in an attempt to be relevant and hip. The Great Commission is only great when its motivation is the clear conviction of the hope 
that is found in the crucified and risen Jesus. Happy Easter, brothers and sisters. The great sacrifice compels me to mention one more great, which I'm going to call the great appeal, found in Romans 12, chapter 1, where Paul said, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers and sisters, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. The great appeal urges us, in light of the great sacrifice, to live like Jesus, to live sacrificially in the service of Jesus, to abandon self and all of self's demands, to commit wholeheartedly to something and someone greater than ourselves. The great appeal urges us to say with resolve, I am in, Lord, all the way in unto death. Yeah, clap. That's the good news. You can tweet that. The great appeal. The great commission is is great when it sends people out like that. You know, as I've been familiarizing myself with all things served globally, I've, I've gotten to know the story of a covenant missionary a long time ago doctor by the name of Paul Carlson, a dedicated missionary and a skilled medical doctor, used his gifts in the service of others. Paul Carlson was among those who were um, caught in the middle of a civil war in Zaire, now known as the Democratic Republic of Congo. Time and Life magazines honored him on their respective covers in 1964, uh, and rightfully so. And the covenant continues to honor this man through the Paul Carlson partnership, continuing his legacy of holistic love through faith and medicine in Congo. Now, Dr. Carlson was a missionary a long time ago, like I said. I've met many of our missionaries today, um, some of whom you support one way or another who live out the great appeal around the world today, day in and day out. Uh, Pete and Cindy Ekstrand, is Sarah here? Hi, Sarah. (laughs) Pete and Cindy, I had to to mention your your folks, you know, who've been at it for 36 years and counting in the Democratic Republic of Congo. (laughs) Peter and Anna Kim, have been at it for the last 13 years in China. Katie and Julio Isaza have been at it for 10 years in Colombia. Now, now these folks would be the first to acknowledge their humanity, but I've I've been with many of them this past year and a half. I've seen what they do as they care for the sick and malnourished, empower the poor, give voice to the voiceless, develop leaders and plant churches. I've seen what they endure on a daily basis, trying to live and raise kids, often without reliable running water and and or electricity and or the internet. I know the challenges and issues that they face living in cultures wholly different from their own. 
all of these things in my mind add up to lives that are nothing short of heroic. These missionaries serving all over the world live out the great appeal and they inspire me to do the same. I hope they inspire you to do the same. I hope you have a missionary family here on a regular basis and when they come, hug them. Hug them hard. Don't let go. Let them know that God loves them and so do you. You know, I'm convinced that we can pull off the Great Commission only if we collectively embrace the great appeal as the paradigm for our lives and for our churches. I really believe that. To be engaged in God's mission, to bear witness to the whole gospel across cultures and in a often vulnerable, sometimes hostile world, requires nothing less than radical commitment to God and God's purposes. I could talk about so many other greats in the Bible. See, this is how, uh, Pastor Peter, this is how you do a sermon when you can't decide which passage to preach. You just preach all your favorites. That's what you do. I managed today to talk about the great mission statement of liberation and justice and salvation in Luke chapter 4, which should be foundational to all church statements. I talked about the great sermon based in Matthew chapters 5 through 7 that teaches us how to practice God's right side up kingdom in an upside down world. We considered the great commandment to love God and neighbor in Mark chapter 12. The great sacrifice that preaches nothing less than Jesus and his kingdom. And the great appeal in Romans 12, 1, that urges us to commit to God's mission with total abandon as our service of worship in the world. And the point in bringing all of these greats up today, and again, there are other Baba greats that that we could talk about. I bring them up today to remind us why the Great Commission is great. Without those things, the Great Commission is not great. I remember a, a pastor years ago say to me that whenever you encounter the word therefore in Scripture, you should ask wherefore, or what are you referring to? Jesus said, go therefore, in Matthew 28, and I'm convinced he's referring to the Bible greats we consider today. Now that you have these other Bible greats down, my disciples, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit and teaching them to obey all these Bible greats. Don't you want to be a part of all this greatness? What is God calling each of us to be and do? And let me urge us at this point to dream big when we ask that. I urge us this morning not to settle for lesser dreams like the American dream. That's not big enough for kingdom followers of Jesus. Not big enough. I believe with all my heart 
that the pursuit of the kingdom dream, the practice of the great commission in light of all these other Bible grades is where we will find the key to a fulfilled and meaningful life. If that's your goal, forget about the American dream. Live and practice the kingdom dream. Be part of the great commission. And where is God calling us to live out all of this greatness? Right here in our own backyard? Or way over there across some ocean? The answer is yes. It's misguided thinking to believe that we have a choice between local and global mission. In Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, You shall be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria, and the ends of the earth, not or. We, the church, are sent by Father, Son, and Holy Spirit to live out the greatness of God in both Chicago and beyond Chicago. But personally, and I have to say this because I'm the executive minister of Serve Globally. Personally, having served on both national and international levels, I believe that the greatest stretch and the greatest reward of our faith awaits us at the ends of the earth. (laughs) Dare we ask God what our place is in the Great Commission? Dare we be open to saying, here I am, Lord, send me. And if we dare to do that, I am positive that God will start doing some radical sending here, there, and everywhere. It's true. And when that sense of missional call begins to grow in you, you can't shake it off to the point where you can't ignore it anymore, come visit us over there at Covenant Offices, 8303 West Higgins Road. <laughs> and let's talk. You know, there's a, the, I took over your table out there. I took all your stuff out, put everything, all those Serve Globally brochures and, and, and stuff all, all out on your table over there. And, uh, I, you know, let me encourage you to take one or two or three of those home with you and and, and, and look them over prayerfully and see if God might be calling you to join the Great Commission through any of those ministries. But folks, whether it's in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, or the ends of the earth for each of us, let's go. Let's go, church. And make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and the Son, the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey all the Bible greats for the transformation of God's world. Amen? And remember, Jesus said, I am with you always to the end of the age. Let's pray. What a privilege it is, God, to, uh, to be part of your family. But Lord, we know as we uh, meditate on your word that... Um, that you don't just form families to be family. You give this family a purpose, a mission, and we're not living up to being your family if we are not engaged. And so, Lord God, would you help us to be 
more engaged. God, I want to thank you for new community and the ways now that they are engaged. Bless them, I pray, with your spirit and your wisdom as they go about uh, being your transforming agent in Chicago and beyond Chicago. And Lord God, as you roam this place now, your Holy Spirit, as your spirit touches individuals in here, uh, and they begin to sense um, you calling them to a particular mission, will you give them the boldness and the courage to say that out loud and then to act upon it? We want to be engaged, God, individually and collectively. We want to be engaged. Help us to be engaged in your spirit, we pray. And we pray this boldly, and we know that you've heard, and that you will respond according to your time and according to your will, in Christ's name.